0: Hello, my name is Wang Yan, and I'm a reporter with News China. With our weekly News China podcast, we aim to give insight into the trends and happenings in modern China through a historical lens. Today, we continue to discuss early China and West exchanges. As we explained in our previous podcast. Three European missionaries had huge success in introducing Western science and technology to China during the Ming and Qing, China's last two imperial dynasties. Matteo Ricci or Li Ma Dou in Chinese pioneered the introduction of Western science and technology to China. Yuhan Adam Shauvan Bao or Tang Ruo Wang in Chinese devised the lunar calendar we still use today. Ferdinand Verbist, or Nan Huai Ren in Chinese, had a big influence than both of his predecessors. He restored Lan Bao's calendar by defeating the Manchu conservatives' calculation team. He helped Qing Emperor Kangxi build the longest prosperity in China's dynastic history. Verbi's achievements in China attracted the attention of a European monarch, Louis XIV of France, known as the Sun King. Louis XIV sent a six-member delegation to visit China. All were fellows of the French Academy of Sciences. Two of them, Yuna Bovet and Gabriel Jean Furnoy met Emperor Kangxi and took the place of the elderly verbist as Kangxi's science teacher and advisor. Garbilin Jean Frenoy, whose Chinese name is Zhang Cheng, became a translator in the Qing's delegation in a negotiation with Russia. Jonathan Bovet, whose Chinese name is Bai Jin, was sent back to France by Kangxi and asked Louis XIV for more French scientists. He brought nine scientists back to China. As a result, 15 French scientists came to China under the initiative of the two emperors. This means that the originally religious missions by European churches became state-sponsored scientific and cultural exchanges between the two sovereigns. Before that, for thousands of years, China and Europe kept an indirect, material link through trade via the Land and Maritime Silk Road. Marco Polo, an Italian traveler, allegedly described his experience in China in the 13th century during the Yuan dynasty. But historians still cannot confirm whether Marco Polo had ever been to China. Even if he had, what he and Ricci achieved was a preliminary understanding between China and the West. But all this set the stage for much deeper contact. Largely due to verbis achievements, Emperor Kangxi and Louis XIV brought the China-West exchange into a faster track. A short-term honeymoon started. More intensive scientific and cultural links brought them much closer than ever before, although the links did not last long. When Kangxi was 40 years old, he suffered from malaria. Traditional Chinese treatment did not work. Finally, he decided to try a remedy made from the cinchona plant offered by European missionaries. The quinine contained in cinchona was the only effective treatment against malaria at that time. After the emperor was cured, he fully embraced Western medicine and science. He gave the best houses near the Forbidden City to European missionaries, so he could call up them anytime. So far, so good. But European missionaries from different churches were always divided on whether Chinese Christians could continue to worship Confucius and their ancestors. The European Orthodox Catholic Church strongly opposed Chinese Christians continuing to adhere to Chinese traditions. Emperor Kangxi was angry In the last year of his 60-year reign, he banned all Christian missionary work on his territory. European missionaries were allowed to live and be officials in China. The emperor was still fond of good Western inventions like medicine. Kangxi's son, Emperor Yongzheng, and grandson, Emperor Qianlong, continued the prosperity that Kangxi created, but they were much more narrow-minded than Kangxi. They did not have any personal interest in Western science and technology. The only legal way for European missionaries to stay in China was to provide services for the imperial court with their skills, mainly maintaining clocks and drawing pictures for the royal family and most importantly leading the royal observatory. In the meantime, Louis XIV's successors did not have the interest or competence to continue exchanges with the country far away. In 1793, Louis XVI and his queen were guillotined during the French Revolution. It was the last years of the reign of Kangxi's grandson, Emperor Qianlong. This made the Qing completely lose interest in having contact with the West. The only legacy in China that still tells people today about the short honeymoon between China and the West during that time are the astronomical instruments built by European missionaries at the Royal Observatory in Beijing and Western Clocks and Watches in the Palace Museum. When the First Opium War broke out in 1840, the honeymoon of more than 100 years earlier had already been far forgotten. Right before and after the war, a few Chinese officials and intellectuals finally began to try to understand the history, culture, and geography of the West, not just the Western science and technology. But the honeymoon had cultural repercussions in Europe. European missionaries translated Confucian classics into European languages. For example, Michel Ruggieri from Italy came to China at the end of the 16th century. He translated four Confucian books, including the Analects, into Latin. Along with Ricci, he is regarded as one of the founders of Sinology in the West. Correspondents written by European missionaries to their churches and friends back home told their China stories. It was from their information that Louis XIV heard about an Oriental emperor who had a similar experience to him. Both Louis XIV and Emperor Kangxi assumed the throne in childhood, faced a serious threat to their throne from powerful groups in the early years of their reigns and later built a strong dynasty with highly concentrated sovereign power in a record-long reign. More importantly, the missionaries' letters also aroused strong interest in Chinese culture among intellectuals in Europe, especially some pioneers of the Enlightenment. They had never been to China, Their thinking about China was mainly informed by the missionary letters. German philosopher Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz in the 17th and 18th century is known as the last universal genius. Both Leibniz and Sir Isaac Newton invented calculus independently. Leibniz also created the binary number system, which is used on computers today. Some say his idea of the binary system was inspired by his reading of the Taiji diagram in Zhou Yi, the Book of Changes, an ancient Chinese book for divination. Lebanese also admired Confucius. He set up a journal called News from China. French economist Francois quisnay appreciated the stable, affluent Chinese society, which was based on agriculture. Quisney was founder and leader of the Physiocratic School, a school of economics in the 18th century, which believed in natural law and envisioned an agriculture-based society. He was consulting physician to King Louis XV, it was a tradition that Chinese emperors worked on land at the beginning of the farming season in early spring each year. The purpose was to encourage people to focus on agriculture. Queen's name persuaded King Louis XV to do the same in Versailles. French writer Voltaire in the 18th century is regarded as an architect of the French Revolution which happened 11 years after he died. He held a strong faith in reason. He saw the embodiment of reason in China's sensible monarchy and Confucianism. He believed these Chinese practices and ideas were in opposition to European religious power. Both Tai's appreciation of Chinese culture and governance is mainly expressed in the last chapter of his book, The Age of Louis 14, published in 1751, but Voltaire also saw the inertia brought about by the long stability built on China's political system over 2,000 years. He criticized in the book that the long period of political stability in China had already led to backward science and technology, stagnation and development dynamics, and lack of creativity in China. He concluded that China's society remained in the era before the Age of Discovery and thus lagged behind Europe by some 200 years. More importantly, he warned that the Chinese were ignorant about their backward position and mistakenly presumed their country as the center of the world. As a result, the Chinese did not have regard for foreigners. French philosopher Mao in the 18th century, another key figure of the Enlightenment, came to a completely different conclusion on China's imperial system. He was against any monarchy and proposed the idea of separation of powers among the legislator, executive, and judiciary. Based on European missionaries' report, he was critical of ancient China as a despotic state, the great German philosopher Hegel in the 19th century, who read Montesquieu's books, argued that Chinese society was static and just went through a cyclical process of despotic dynasties. His ideas inspired Karl Marx. The contact between China and the West is much deeper and more extensive today than the short honeymoon hundreds of years ago but there is still a lot for them to understand each other. This is the end of our podcast. Thank you to our writer Song Yimin, editor and translator Li Jia, and copy editor Kathleen Nade. We hope you enjoyed it, and thank you for listening. See you next week.